Hello everyone and welcome to ADV Moto Live number 8. Today's topic is the Yamaha Tenere 700. Yamaha's long-awaited Tenere 700 is now ready to roll on American soil. The promise of an affordable mid-weight rally-style bike with usable off-road suspension has been in high demand for adventure riders. Now that it's here, how well does it live up to the hype? Find out tonight on this episode of ADV Moto Live. All right, first we have some important news today, which I would like to briefly share. Some of it is good and bad news. One thing that we wanna do here for sure is we want to take a moment to say farewell to an award-winning ADV filmmaker, Gaurav Jani, who passed away this May 24th. He produced two main features from 2006 to 2009, titled Riding Solo to the Top of the World and One Crazy Ride. Up until Riding Solo to the Top of the World, there had not been a solo-produced ADV film. All the other films had been in groups and then putting it on DVD. Looking to do the same, in 2007, I traveled to Mumbai, where Gaurav really helped me out in putting the finishing touches on the return. It was immediately apparent how his love for travel and sharing adventures impacted everyone around him, and it would be fair to say that I wouldn't be here without him today. So... One evening, while eating dinner in his apartment, he shared a very simple but important piece of advice with me. Carl, he said, at the end of the day, you want to make a film that everyone can enjoy. And this is an important lesson in content I have tried to follow and make good on ever since. His contributions went well beyond that, though. As one of the earliest promoters of ADV writing in India and abroad, he built a family around him wherever he went. It is safe to say those who knew him will miss him. And as a closing, I would like to raise a glass or a cup, or a mug, whatever you got for you, for those who may not be here, but we carry on our hearts every day. Ride in peace, brother. Ride in peace. And now on to some happier news. Some of the viewers who were on a few weeks back watched as Amanda Zitto, an artist and also known as Blind Thistle, created live for us a drawing based on a favorite ADV saying that you voted for. The winner of that was Long Way Home, and we are happy now to release the finished version of that art in full color as promised those who chose to receive the artwork will be getting a postcard shortly in your mailboxes these are cool to look at on a screen but they are even cooler to look at when they're sitting physically in your hand if you'd like to see how this all began check out adv moto live number five but now on with the show we've got a lot of people who i think are eager to find out some awesome information about today's topic so, without too much further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest, Dan DeMeo, who recently just got back from Tennessee, where there was a East Coast T7 junket. Hey, Dan, how's it What's going? Happening? Oh, man, it's crazy, crazy night. There's always lots of things going on here and just found out about the passing of Garev, and that kind of rocked my day a little bit. Yeah, but crazy. Uh, Sorry to hear the news. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But so you've had a very rare chance to check out a really hot bike. What was that? That was just two weeks ago? Uh, was, yeah, about a week ago, actually. Last week. It was only about a week ago. Yep. Awesome. And uh, where did you get a chance to ride it? Uh, we were down border of Tennessee and Georgia. Border of Tennessee just and Georgia. Outside, awesome. uh, just outside of Teleco Plains, Tennessee. 
Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's get straight to it, man. We have a lot to do today. We also have our guests from Yamaha joining us a little bit later to answer some hotly anticipated questions. But first, if it's a review, let's go through this. First thing we want to ask about is the engine. You know, I am a parallel engine lover. What are your thoughts on the CP2 engine? You know, how did it perform? Well, I mean, this was my first experience on the CP2 platform. You know, the engine's been used in the MT-07 for the last few years. But with that cross-plane crank, the engine was incredibly smooth, very low vibrations. You know, the power just builds and builds the more you twist the throttle. Nice. And the torque is very manageable. No surprises, no loss of torque and traction. You know, it's it's a really fun motor to ride. Awesome. Where would you say some of the power is? I mean, is it, I mean, do you, do you notice it down low? I mean, it's, kind of up, up it's very easy to ride down low. You know, you can get lazy coming out of the corner and be a gear high, you know, and like say I was coming out of corners a gear high and like fourth gear. And it would just, the more you twisted the throttle, the more it just chugged along and just kept building power. But the sweet spot, I would say, is probably in that 6,000, 6,500 RPM range. You know, the motor just really starts to sing right around there. But now it's a great motor. I mean, I've never had the experience on the MT-07, but it's definitely a good power plant for this application. Awesome. Very cool. Now, how about the transmission? I mean, as with most new bikes these days, transmissions have come a long way. There's no exception to the MT-07. It was super smooth, you know, buttery smooth. You know, obviously we don't have a hydraulic clutch, but it's got a very, very light cable pull to it. And shifting between gears and downshifting, it was as smooth as, as anything I've ever ridden. So transmission is definitely good and smooth and the gearing is definitely well spaced out. Very cool. Now, did you get a sense of how hard it was working at, you know, like highway speeds, you know, so if you're in top gear and you're, and you're kind of cruising. I mean, most of the junket was spent off road, which, you know, we all appreciated that for sure. But the time that we did spend on the road, you know, we got up to, you know, I'd say between 60 and 65 miles an hour and right around 5,000 RPM. So, you know, long ways to go to redline. Redline's right around 10, 10 and a half, I believe. So. Oh, that's a peppy redline. Six, 65 miles an hour. I mean, the motor is barely working in six gears. So. Yeah. So there's plenty of room. Plenty of room. No, oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, it's nice to have power, but at the same time, it's also nice to be able to, <laughs> you know, to stop, right? So what was the braking like, you know, for the front and the... Braking comes from Brembo, which is a sweet move on Yamaha's side. You've got 282 twin discs up front and a 245 millimeter single rear. The braking was, you know, I like... It's a good balance. It wasn't too hard, wasn't too mushy. Nice balance of both kind of lands in the middle. I particularly like a softer, mushy front brake on my off-road bikes. Just gives you a little more room to, to pull on the front brake before it you know, locks up and washes out the front end. But no, it was a good balance. And, you know, the brakes on the Tenere definitely worked flawlessly. I didn't have any issues with any of the braking on-road or off-road. 
Awesome. How about the ABS? ABS is a very simple system. It's either on or it's off. With you know most modern day bikes with ABS, you know pretty much all bikes. I mean, you have to be completely stopped to turn it on or turn it off or modulate the different modes. Same for the 10 ARA. You have to completely stopped, but there's a button on the uh, gauge cluster, the lower right side of the gauge cluster, and you just simply push it. Hold it for a couple of seconds and it comes up on the gauge cluster and says off-road. So you know you're in off-road mode with no ABS. Wow, that's cool. And is there any kind of like modulation with ABS in turn of like, you know, some of them were more balanced towards you know, there was more ABS on the rear, but there was less on the front? Or is it basically more like a traditional ABS where it's both wheels ABS, both, just like it was used for street riding? Both, AB, both wheels are ABS. I actually didn't pose that question. So I think it's just a balanced ABS system front and rear. So, mm. you know, when the ABS is on for road applications and or off-road applications, I actually rode it with the ABS on for a good portion of the off-road section just to test it out off-road. And it works great off-road as well. You know, no... You know, obviously, it, it depends on how hard you're riding on if you want the ABS on, on or off. But I didn't have any issues with riding with the ABS on off-road. That's awesome. Now, how about the tires? I mean, what have we got going for the tires that come? Uh, Yamaha decided to use the Scorpion Rally STRs, which have a pretty aggressive knob pattern on the front tire. The rear tire uh, is, you know, a little paddle style, you know, big blocks along the rear, but you know, all the conditions that we encountered uh, during the junket, the tire worked flawlessly. You know, it, it hooked up. We didn't really come across any muddy, sticky situations. And again, like I said, this was my first experience on that particular tire. And overall, I thought it was a definitely a good choice for Yamaha for the showroom floor. It's going to give the rider the ability to go off-road and do a little off-road stuff, but still have comfort on the road, you know, while they break in the bike and get used to the bike and decide on, you know, their particular tire choice. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you know, while we got this video up here, just kind of running, I guess, through this kind of slightly rockier dual track section, let's go straight to the suspension. I think, you know, that's a really important part of any bike. Experienced riders know that. But, you know, for newer riders or folks getting into the adventure world, you know, it's extra, it's, it's extra important. So the T7 has a fully adjustable suspension. And, you know, I mean, how did you find that it worked for you? I mean, I think the suspension, uh, you know, you've got 43 millimeter KYB forks, fully adjustable compression rebound up front and a fully adjustable piggyback rear KYB shock with also preload adjustment. You know, obviously, starting out, uh, the folks at Yamaha had it in comfort mode as per the owner's manual, mm -hmm. which it worked great in all the conditions that we were doing on the street and worked pretty good in the first sections of gravel. You know, it was nice and comfortable soaking up all the little gravel heads. And then once we got into the more technical, rockier sections, they set it up to the Yamaha owner's manual off-road setting, which stiffens everything up, puts a little more preload in it. And it worked a lot better in some of that because there was a lot of sections where we had water breaks. So we were able to, you know, actually jump the bike and, you know, pull the front tire up over rocks and obstacles of that sort. You know, I did have a couple bottom issues. 
but there was plenty plenty of additional adjustment on preload compression and rebound on the rear shock and also i mean you know i come from a predominantly off-road background and you know when you buy a new bike that's the first thing you do you set up the suspension for your proper weight and riding style and the suspension is pretty much set up for the 165 to 175 rider. So, you know, if you're going to do off-road stuff, obviously, you know, set it up for your weight and the style of off-road riding that you're going to do. But all in all, I thought the suspension worked, worked great. And like I said, we had plenty more adjustments on the suspension to stiffen it up even more. Awesome. That's cool. So that seems to be right pretty much where most people, you know, would kind of want it. You know, and this is a question we might field a little bit later, but, you know, what's the trick to developing a cross-purpose bike? It's not easy when, when you're trying to make a bike that kind of does anything. Oh, yeah, going back a little bit, did you have any experience in, you know, in mud or anything? Oh, I know mud is more of a function of the tires, but... I mean, we ran across a couple little sections that had some, you know, mud or softer sections, but nothing crazy. You know, I definitely would like to get it into some of those conditions and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do that at a later date. Mm, very cool. All right. Moving right along, you know, how about the bike's ergonomics? I love the ergonomics. I mean, I am, you know, obviously not the tallest guy in the world. You know, I'm 5'8", just right around 200 pounds. The bike is nice and narrow in the cockpit area. It's got a YZ style off-road seat. You know, it does look thin, but it's got plenty of cushion in it. Mm. But just thinness in the cockpit area. I mean, it really, really allows you to move around on the bike when you're off-road. And the windscreen is very rally inspired. So it's pretty much vertical. But I think they found a perfect balance in between off-road and on-road functionality for that. You know, it worked great at keeping the, the wind off, got nice wide off-road style handlebars, you know, obviously at my height, there was no need for me to worry about handlebar risers. I don't think anybody would really have to worry about that until you pass the six foot range. But yeah, all in all, the, the ergonomics I thought were fantastic. It's probably one of the thinner feeling bikes out there in that middleweight sector. Awesome. Very cool. So how about with standing geometry? Again, you know, at my height, standing geometry felt great. You know, the cool thing about the Tenere 700 is with a lot of adventure bikes on the market right now, when you get into off-road situations and you get up on the pegs and you look down to try to see your gauge cluster, you really can't see anything. The way the Tenere 700 gauge cluster is angled, when you're up on the pegs, you can actually glance down and you can see what gear you're in. You can see your miles per hour. So I thought that was really sweet. That is really cool. There aren't a lot of bikes where, where, where you can no, do it's, you, know, it's, you uh, can barely see anything on the gauges when you're standing up. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the weight of the bike like when you're both standing and sitting? And this is in terms of more as like, how does it feel? At 452 pounds wet, it feels light. I mean, obviously... You know, my personal bike is a 500-pound-plus behemoth, but it felt well-balanced. I mean, I know the tank is tank weight is up high on the chassis, but I didn't notice it feeling top-heavy or wishy-washy. I mean, obviously, as we got into the more technical sections, we had, you know, wasted through a certain amount of gas, but 
No, I thought the bike felt nice and light and flickable and well-balanced. Very cool. You had said that there was a couple different types of seats available for it. Yeah, the stock seat, like I said, I didn't have any issues of any complaints on the seat. Obviously, the junket was angled for a lot more off-road. So, you know, we did a lot of standing that day, but the times that we're on the road, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any complaints to the seat. Again, I would like to test that a little bit further at a, at a future date, but they also do offer a low seat, OEM Yamaha low seat. Mm-hmm. If you couple that with the lowering links and whatnot, you're going to drop the seat height to about one and a half inches. And then they also have a rally enduro right. seat that really changes the way the bike feels. I got a chance to ride that a good portion of the second half of the day. I mean, it totally changed the way the bike felt, the ergonomics. I mean, it felt more attack mode. Obviously, it's got a little more cushion because it's a little bit taller. I think it raises it about 1.6 inches. But yeah, they do have those options available. You know, if you are shorter than 5'8 or want a little more foot on the ground, you can go the low seat height with the, the link and get it down to where you're confident. Right on. Well, that brings us to our next question, which comes down to like the features and accessories. So you notice that there's a rally or sorry, you'd mentioned that there's a rally seat there, right? And this is, these are some shots of the rally kit. And it looks like you've got a couple of different types of kits. What are they? Yamaha actually put together a couple of kits in-house. You have your, I think it's the rally kit, which is more obviously more off-road oriented it comes with a a solo seat rack it comes with engine guards skid plate center stand and a couple other bits that's right around fifteen hundred and forty nine dollars and ninety three cents and then they have a they have more of an adventure touring kit i guess you'd say some of the same protection you know skid plate center stand but also comes with yamaha hard panniers left and right mm. and that that kit's yeah. right around 2264 94 i believe but they also offer just a whole slew of oem yamaha add-ons for it heated grips you know just a bunch of different stuff that's a lot going on there man i mean they, they really macked it out i can't help but wonder so this is the touring setup i guess with the yeah that's there. got the stock seat on it uh, but it's got the skid plate crash bars the luggage the crash bars yeah yeah right on right on that's awesome there's a side of me that wants to throw 1917 wheels on this you know that no nah, you'll, you'll be you'll be fine <laughs> with the 2118 i know i know i'm just messing around you know i have a compulsive habit of doing yeah with all kinds of bikes <laughs> it worked on the 690 for sure yeah it was cool and it's definitely different all right. So lastly, no bike is perfect. You know, what are some things you would be looking to upgrade? If you bought this and you took it home and it was just like chilling out in your garage, what are some things you'd be looking to upgrade? I mean, honestly, I would probably ride it for a little while, you know, and play with the different additional settings on the suspension. But right off the top of my head, first thing I would probably do is just set up the suspension to my weight and riding style. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I mean, that's something any off-road rider does when he buys a new bike. You know, if he happens to be a little bit heavier than what the spring rate's uh, rated for, you know, once you get the bike set up, it works a lot better for you. So that's probably the first thing I would do. Any other bits 
or little pieces on the bike, you think? You know, other than the suspension, you know, obviously I ride adventure bikes off-road. Um, I would definitely probably add some aluminum handguards, you know, just to add yeah. a little more protection to protect those levers so you don't get stranded out in the backwoods. Well, right on. It's got the plastic handguards there, which look like they're mounted to the perch. Yeah, it's mounted to it. the mirror mount. Oh, okay. Yeah, right on, right on. Well, there's more options for that than someone can sh shake a stick at, so that shouldn't be a problem. Well, all right. We do have a question here real fast. We have a couple, which we'll try to field real fast, then we'll bring in our next guests. And one is, uh, was the gauge easy to read in the sunlight by Mark? I was. I didn't have any issues. Uh, the day that we rode was uh, pretty much blasting sunlight. I mean, we rode, obviously, on-road and off-road sections we had a decent amount of canopy but as you can see in the video you know we had some sunlight but now the, the gauge cluster was definitely visible at all times while i was on the bike we did at night i think i posted a picture to facebook on that but we you know we fired up the bike and looked at the cl gauge cluster at night and at night it's really visible and you know those four stock led headlights were actually really bright as well awesome cool and then one last question from Jed's Moto. How is the gearing stock? Is it too tall? I didn't find any issue with the gearing. Usually the engineers have that pretty dialed in. I wouldn't, myself personally, I wouldn't mess with any of the gearing on the bike. It worked perfectly in any of the situations that we encountered that day. And like I said, more than 80% of the ride was off-road. So Cool. And actually, let's just squeeze one more last one. Bruce Harvey says, are the foot pegs on the bike small i have only seen the european version i mean i've been in the industry long enough you know when the wider foot pegs became all the rage in the off-road world obviously i tried it i went back to the standard size pegs just because there was really no need to have an extra couple of inches on your foot peg it just digs into things and ruts and whatnot but i didn't have i did find that the foot pegs felt more comfortable with rubber insert out okay awesome well, that's a bunch of good information there. So let's go ahead and get on to our next guests, keep things rolling along. I'm sure that there's a lot of people here that I cannot wait for our next guest to come on. And now let's get them in here to the main room. Joining us from the Yamaha National Headquarters in Georgia to answer some of our questions on the Tenere 700 are Derek Brooks and Philip Lash. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing today? Doing great. Doing good, yep. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Can you guys, so we got Derek on the left and we got Philip on the right. Can you guys give us a quick introduction of yourselves and what you guys do at Yamaha? Sure. Yeah, so my name is Philip Lash and I work in motorcycle product planning. I've been passionate about bikes since I was a little guy, rode flat track, moto, woods, got into street bikes later on. And yeah, it's a, it's a dream come true to work at Yamaha. Oh, right on. Yeah, that must be really exciting. And Derek? Yeah, I'm the uh, motorcycle product line manager here at Yamaha Motor US. So I kind of try to kind of oversee the whole motorcycle business operations, try to give some strategic direction. I don't know that I'm the best person for that, but I make believe as much as I can. I've been here for, I think this summer will be 22 years with Yamaha. And, 22 and years like right Philip, I grew up 
I don't remember it, but my father tells me I started riding when I was three on a TY-80 with the training wheels where he just unhooked the throttle cable and turned the idle up and I just kind of cruised around on it. So I've been pretty passionate for especially off-road my whole life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, those are some of the best days of your life, right? For sure. When you're, when you're that small and suddenly you've got an engine underneath oh, yeah. you. What an amazing experience. And it sticks with you for your whole life too. So, I mean, having been in the industry as long as you guys have been, you know, how have you seen the United States market or trends or interests change over the past 10 years or I'd say 10 or 15 years? Yeah, really since the recession, 2008, nine, we've seen riders put more value on the versatility of their machines. So that's right where Tenere 700 fits right in, the versatility of the bike to really can take you anywhere on street, on dirt, as Dan was talking about how well it performs in the off-road sections, but as well, it does really well on the street. So that's a big thing that we've seen change. And also, you know, people are looking for the value in the products. So again, with Tenere 700, our value is our great performing machine and then at a wonderful MSRP coming in at under 10K. Yeah, right. I mean, it kind of slots itself into a gap in the current market, you know, which I think is, is awesome. I think we've seen recently some of the smaller displacement adventure bikes develop and some of the much larger displacement adventure bikes. But there's a whole lot of people that are out there banging pots and pans for things that are, you know, more in the mid-size. So where do you guys see the T7 fitting into the current motorcycle landscape? And what do you believe makes it different from some of the other options that are out there? Yeah, I, I guess I can go. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think you just, Philip mentioned it. You just hit on it. Really, we think it has a pretty unique position, and that was by design. I mean, that was our concept from the beginning, kind of a mid-size, more off-road, more kind of rally-inspired adventure bike, but really at, at a very value price. You know, we have pretty amazing engineers that are more than capable of building R1M superbikes with huge horsepower and incredible technology, but we really set out to make this bike extremely usable, easy to ride, but also extremely fun and feel like you're really connected to the machine and really no frills. And again, at a value proposition. So I think there's a lot of really amazing motorcycles out there. I like to think we make some of them, but besides our brand, there's a lot of other really amazing bikes, but I really think we do have a kind of unique position with the Tenere 700 with the function it has and the price it's at. Yeah, I'd probably agree. So one of the challenges of these adventure and dual sport bikes is you've got to make these bikes suitable for everything. And you don't have that so much in the other genres or categories of bikes that we found traditionally in the United States. What are some of the challenges of designing a cross-purpose bike like this T7? Yeah, I think once again, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you asked the question. It's a dual purpose bike, so it needs to work well on the street and the dirt. And with this concept, we really focus on the functionality and the off-road ability of the bike. So, you know, riding it on gravel roads, dirt trails, getting on OHV trails, it's a ball. But then you still has to function really well on the street. And I think Dan talked about it on his review a little bit. With the windshield, it really creates a nice pocket for you. It has the handguards to keep the wind off, low vibration. It has rubber in the foot pegs. So again, to help with transferring vibration of the rider, then you can pop out with no tools when you get to an off-road section if you want more grip. So yeah, these are some of the things that really make T7 special. Also just to add, you know, I mentioned it just a minute ago, but in some ways developing a bike with dual function like this is, is much more difficult than developing a YZ, a motocross bike or a super sport bike, because they are 
hyper monofocused. So you set out the design requirements, what you know we call it QFD, and, and what you're going to measure and what the function needs to be on every exact situation. And it can be really fine-tuned to that one purpose. And it's not easy, but at least it's one thing you're trying to achieve. With a dual-function bike like this, it's a challenge. I mean, as Philip said, you have to say, all right, what's the concept for the machine? So you set all your targets for development towards that situation. But at the same time, you, you got to realize, well, we can say that we're going to make a great off-road bike, but at the same time, somebody may buy it and ride it 99% of the time on, on the street. So we can't ignore that. So you have to find this balance of the design, of the development, of the settings. And, you know, I think the engineers did a really good job. I think the brakes we were talking about at the, at the event, I think the brakes are a great example. You know, they're high quality brakes, Brembo's, but, you know, we've heard some, to be quite honest, we heard some initial feedback, I think more so from the European side that the initial feel felt a little bit soft. Well, it does by design. Yeah. I mean, Dan, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, you know, the last thing you want when you're cruising down a gravel road at 20, 25 miles an hour is to just touch the brake and have it lock up. We would never do that. You know, we want, we need the bike to handle extremely well. And I think that's kind of Yamaha's asset in their engineering capabilities and design to be able to really fine tune all the components, the suspension, and make not just, again, with a, a hyper-focused machine, a YZ you know, you can really fine tune the suspension to work in very big G out situations, but this machine has to work. You mentioned the comfort setting, but then again, if there's a 220 pound rider that's jumping water bars, you know, you can tune it to that. Admittedly, you're going to give up comfort. You're going to start feeling every little rock, every little bump, but you know, it's just like if you rode a YZ on a gravel road, you're going to feel every little pump, every little rock, you know, so you got to find that balance and that's a big challenge. Yeah, that's a real challenge. And also when being presented to people, whether it's media or writers, you know, they're, we're all coming from a background, you know, we're coming from street. But if you test a dual sport bike, like you would test a street bike, there's always going to be something that's not exactly right. Or if you come from a trail or motocross background, and then you test a dual sport bike, there's always going to be something that's not exactly right, exactly. right? So it's a real challenge. So one thing that I really did want to ask was, and this is for a lot of the general education of myself and everybody, I think, but a lot of people don't necessarily understand what it takes to bring a new model to market. I mean, I've toured some of the motorcycle factories overseas and, you know, talk with some of the people, and it really is an amazing thing. But can you give us a very general outline, meaning, you know, nothing that's too specific yeah. about what it takes to make a new model and bring it to market? You know, like how long does it take and what are some of the caveats? Because you have to kind of forecast down the road, yeah. right? Yeah. And I grew up in a dealership. So I was from, again, three years old at my father's dealership up until when I started at Yamaha. So, you know, I came from the side, the market side where, you know, why doesn't Yamaha just make this. And once I started working here and I started in product planning, then you start to realize that, <laughs> you know, it's not just so, so easy as to say, hey, and next year we should have one of these bikes. It really, to be quite honest, there is no set time frame. There's some models that I've worked on, we've worked on that have been almost 10 years of development and not technically wow. development, but starting with original ideas, concepts, designs, you may get a ways down the road, it could be two years down the road and you realize the styling trend is, is starting to change and you're like, well, we got to start over. And that happens. There's other projects we've been involved with where it's just, it's spot on from the beginning and you start designing with, with the styling, you start the functional design and engineering and, you know, two years later, there it is. But to be quite honest, that's not, that's probably the, not the norm. It's really all about 
recognizing a trend in the market or predicting a trend. And the predicting the trend is that's the magic eight ball. You know, yeah. one out of about every hundred ideas, yet you might get one right, but it is possible. But once you recognize that trend, then you have to really start studying the market with research, quantitative and qualitative research. That takes time. You know, then you start working with your styling designers, develop the concept of the design, and then you start working eventually with engineers, setting the targets for functional development. You know, then the testing starts and testing development is extremely important, you know, to make sure it's working the way that you have set out for it to work. So it's not a short process and it's not an easy process. And I try to be very understanding because we get, I attend a lot of events, you know, I still talk to a lot of dealers and I still get that question. Why don't you guys just do this? You know, and it's mm -hmm. like, I know I get it, <laughs> but you have to understand it takes time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that it, it has to be designed from a concept and then it has to be physically engineered and then manufactured. The castings and moldings have to be made. Yeah. I mean, the whole deal, it's not, a, you know, like a snap your fingers sort of thing there. You know what I mean? So, all right. So one thing that was real hot here was unlike a lot of other models just sort of pop up. You know, we've been hearing about the T7 for a while and not to put you guys too much on a spot, but... A very common question here is, you know, why did it take so long, you know, for it to get to the U.S.? I mean, that was has been burning on people for a long time because I think people really want this bike. I mean, they really want it. And I think that adds to some of the chomping at the bit sort of feeling oh, about yeah, it. You for know? sure. I'd be lying if I'd say I wasn't chomping at the bit myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't go into a lot of very specific details of the situation. So with this bike, I'm sure your audience knows very well about the car rally and it's really heavily supported by Yamaha Motor France. So rally with them is, man, that is life. And they really pushed, you know, together YMUS and Yamaha Europe really together pushed. We wanted this concept. But to be quite honest, it was really there. They owned the project, which is kind of how we work it. Sometimes we'll own a project for our market. They're still part of the development. They still have input, but we own it. In this case, they owned this project and they had very good intentions and we agreed with it. So I'm not going to say that, you know, they were to blame, but the idea was, yeah. you know what, in this case, this is such an emotional project product, I should say, the Tenere model in Europe, that they wanted to bring people into the development of it, a show behind the scenes. Because pretty much as far as I can know, at least on the US side, we have never shown that early of a stage of a concept machine. So it was a decision that was made, like, let's show this initial styling concept bike super early, uh, just to get yeah. people to think that, you know, kind of bought into it and really kind of see a little bit I don't want to say behind the scenes because it wasn't really necessarily behind the scenes, but at least kind of see the process that went into it. I think to be critical of ourselves, I think maybe where we missed the ball a little bit was just that it maybe seemed a little too finished, but it truly was a pure concept machine. So, you know, that gave it a really early start. And then the development process, yeah, to be quite honest, it took a little longer than we wanted it to, but that happens, not unusual. Yeah. So, you know, with yeah. that showing that early concept and a little bit longer process, and then again, with Europe being the kind of the host market for this concept, they started production for their model in the France factory that Yamaha has first. And then we transferred production uh. to the Japan factory for our market's model. So that created a little bit of a lag. Again, it wasn't a mistake. It was part of the design, not necessarily what we wanted. But, you know, we also have to understand that we're in our market juggling 40 to 50 different models in our lineup. And at, at our factory side, they're dealing with hundreds of models of managing when production starts and stops 
costs and switching to a different model. So yeah, we wish it would have been a little bit tighter, but it, it is what it is. And we've got it here now and we couldn't be more excited. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like I said, people are really eager to get their butts in some saddles. Now, are there, I just thought about this, but is there any DNA shared with the previous version of the X-T6? No. So it's an all new platform. Yeah. DNA, other than just the name and the Yamaha's yeah. heritage and, you know, NRA yeah, and, and yeah. the car rally and, but, but no. So it's all new from scratch. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, so it's uh, all new. The engine, like we, Dan talked about, but that's kind of the heart of the bike. And this engine's really incredible. It, you can lug it, you can chug it. I was doing photos before the event and I was trying to get it to break loose in gravel. And it just hooks up so good. It's like you really got to work to get it to even slide out a little bit on the rear power slide. And yeah, you can take off in second gear. And when you're out on the trails, I ride a gear too high. because the bike just really puts it to the ground. And then, yeah, with the chassis, you were asking about some of the development. We worked really hard on that to get um, the strength in the head tube. So if you think about a traditional street bike, most of the force is from braking on the front and on the steering stem. So here you also have yeah. that force, but then say a slap down landing off a jump. So that puts different kind of force on it. Instead of trying to pull the front end under, it's trying to push it out. So yeah, lots of different, with the DNA of Yamaha and our knowledge of YZs and off-road bikes and R1s and street bikes, we're able to put that together with this concept. Awesome. Awesome. Now, sort of along a little bit. So we have the sweet bike. People are totally ready for it. It's supposed to be here. We already have some people that have already ordered it. What is the current process of getting your hands on one as you understand it at this point? Yeah. So we have what we, we call a pre-delivery or pro, sorry, priority delivery program, PDP. So you can essentially, if you go to your dealer, they can order, give you a special number and order it. This program, I think today's the 11th, right? This program, however, does end tomorrow, the 12th. So the reason why we did that, there's, I think there's been some question about why we have this special order program. Essentially what has happened is we got, we were fortunate enough to have allotment of production that happened before COVID-19 situation hit and interrupted okay, yeah. for not just us, but the world supply chain. So mm-hmm. in some ways we were very fortunate in that we got an initial allotment of production made imported here to the US. Unfortunately, we do have a fairly sizable gap before the next allotment will be here. In fact, it's probably gonna be most likely September-ish. I hope early September, but we're not positive yet. So we don't have this huge massive volume of bikes to where we would normally distribute them across the US to all of our dealers in a fair and equitable way. So if, if we have such a small volume, what we wanted to do is to get them to exactly where people had desire to buy them immediately. You know, so this allowed us to have, the, you know, a customer say, hey, I want one, I'll take it. There's a $500 deposit and they're depending on where they are on the list, the hierarchy, that's when they'll get their bike sooner than somebody at the end. Or if you missed it, you know, if we only have a certain number and you came in one after, unfortunately, you'll have to wait until the next allotment comes in. But again, it just allowed us to get the bikes directly to the people that said, hey, I want on, here's my money. And then the next step will be, we'll take a normal order from our dealers here coming up fairly soon with that second allotment again as i said will arrive hopefully early september for us that's cool cool. we have a question from a guy that's in the chat room bruce harvey said he ordered his in november a couple of blues have arrived but i'm still waiting for my white one he really wants the white one i like the white one too i'm partial to the red black and white in case you can't tell (laughs) so the question is how about color selection i mean 
in the U.S. anyway, right? We're going to have the blue and the was it intensity yeah, white? We'll have all three colors: the blue, the intensity white, and then the black as well. Yeah, I, I guess I can't answer when will his arrive necessarily, but we'll have all three colors sure. for sure. And again, I'm not sure where he fought, fell out in that PDP program list. The list. But just yeah. uh, be patient. I guarantee it's worth the wait. Yeah, right on. That's awesome. Well, thanks very much, guys. It's been great having you on. Thank you very much for answering the question. I think it gave us some really cool insight. We try to keep the show a little bit shorter, provide all kinds of links for folks to go find out more. And, you know, again, thanks for taking time out of your very busy day. I know it's late for you over there, and we would love to have you back on sometime. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah, right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Take great. care, guys. Have a good night. Get some rest. Well, all right. Much thanks to Derek, Philip, and Dan for offering their thoughts with us tonight on this hot new bike. Although it took a little while to get here, we're happy to see Yamaha's Tenere 700 seeing the light of day on our shores. It's a simplified electronic architecture with an emphasis on good old-fashioned basics wrapped in a modern rally package. It's just what many of us are looking for, especially since it helps keep the price down. And that is a factor that we cannot ignore. For most, or sorry, for more info on the Tenere 700, visit our review link in the description below or the link that's down below, yamahamotorsports.com, and contact your nearest Yamaha dealer if you haven't already. In the meantime, join us next week with Paul Gillian and Ina Thorne as we talk about the BDR, that's the Backcountry Discovery Routes Program, how we can build our own routes, contribute to trail safety, and help preserve access. As always, your support means a lot. Check out the links and please watch Riding Solo to the Top of the World by Garab Johnny. It's free, it's on YouTube, and in many ways it was the first of its kind. I know I will be re-watching it again very soon. So don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel and visit AdventureMotorcycle.com for more ADV. Until next time, ride safe and have fun. Wow.